0: And uh, leading up to Christmas, uh, I want to uh, do a, just a short series that will take us up to Christmas uh, Day, or up to that period of time anyway. And then it goes Mayhem, and uh, we've got Impact Summer, and all the other things that happen at that time of year. Uh, so uh, Matthew 7, I'm going to read uh, verses uh, 12 uh, down to 14, although primarily I just want to focus in on one verse, Uh, today, which is verse 12. And Jesus said, "'So whatever you wish uh, that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life.' And those who find it, a few. And Father, we thank you for your word, pray for your blessing on it. I pray this would really encourage and uh, and put your touch upon uh, these messages that we do. And I pray, Lord, for the empowering of your Holy Spirit, uh, Lord, in all that we do. And Jesus, we honor you and thank you. Your wonderful name. Amen. Just for next Sunday, too, with Team Help That's with Terry. Terry's at the back here, and her husband Eric, and Hunter, and the guys. Uh, it will be a great opportunity next week to really bring some – oh, here's Hunter over here uh, – to bring some uh, people that don't normally go to church because uh, these guys will really connect with them. And it gives us a great opportunity to get behind them and stand behind them and pray for them and bless them as well uh, so that we can so, show solidarity to what they do. Eric came up there after, uh, there after and he said, Neville, there's no bull sharks in the Murray River. So – after what I said last week, so anyway, he just wanted to qualify that with me, uh, and so he's feeling confident. Um, and besides, uh, with Hunter in the water, that narrows down the odds. So, <laughs> but anyway, that's for next week. Uh, so really get behind that. So okay, uh, we're every everyone, you're there, you're you're into what we're going to do. I've called this the terrible twos. It sounds like an advertisement for uh, all those mums with little toddlers about two years of age. You ever experienced that? The terrible twos, they call it. Well, this is not about little toddlers. Uh, that'd be a rather narrow population dynamic to address uh, in a church series. Uh, what we're actually looking at is uh, basically at the end of the Sermon of the Mount. Uh, there are quite a number of challenges that Jesus brings uh, at, uh, at that end of uh, that whole message, which is very familiar with many many people. Um, and so, with this, uh, it's really a series about choices. And so, that's what I want to look at. And uh, and so, we're going to look at the choice between uh, two paths, two trees, two claims, two builders, and foundations. And so, that's what we're going to be looking at. And so, in other words, what we're dealing is we're going to be studying the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, everyone got that? So, I've uh, actually just zeroed in really today on one verse, and this is actually uh, what is many call the golden rule. I'm sure people have probably heard of this. And so, Matthew 7:12 it says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, Do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, uh, that's very profound, but tragically very misunderstood by many uh, through time. And so I really want to set the whole foundation by uh, looking at this. In fact, uh, I want to read this from the New King James Translation. Uh, And it goes, Therefore, and I I wish the ESV had put that there is therefore. And whenever you see a therefore, it's because something has come before. And so you've got to look at why Jesus made uh, this statement. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, this suggests that this is moving off something that's just proceeded before. And that's something some have suggested is maybe verses 7 to 11, which is ask uh, and you'll receive, not going it will be open to you. Uh, some have gone, uh, we think it actually is dealing with uh, chapter 7 verses 1 to 6, uh, which speaks about judge not lest you be judged, all of that deals with relationships. Uh, but I think the best answer is in fact, it actually summarizes everything Jesus has said on the Sermon in the Mount. And so, uh, so really from chapter 517 all the way to 712, because in 517 it says this, Do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill. And that word fulfill is actually the key word of Matthew's gospel, mentioned 16 times. And so with this there, it's most likely uh, a, a very succinct summary of all the sermon that Jesus has spoken in that one little statement. Now, I want to come to that and sort of, if I can, unpack this to lay the foundation of where we're going. Now, when we come to the Sermon on the Mount, is, uh, is the amount of commentary, the amount of uh, perspectives on this is... Legion, it's it's just uh, you, you've got no idea. Um, maybe if I can maybe uh, uh, give some people's perspectives. Uh, Karl Marx uh, actually was very fond of the Sermon on the Mount, is because it entailed so much of what he believed was socialism. And uh, the only thing he wanted to do was make sure to divorce it from God, and hence to divorce it from Jesus. Many people uh, may be familiar that Gandhi was a very strong student of the Sermon on the Mount. And in his perspective of that, he loved the teaching within of what Jesus spoke in this sermon, Uh, But for him, again, he wanted to separate it from the man who spoke it. Uh, He wanted to take the principles that were spoken. Uh, There are others that have come and said uh, the Sermon on the Mount as a blueprint to utopia. And those that are familiar with Leo Tolstoy uh, and particularly uh, his novels, uh, being Russian and living through that Crimean War period, Uh, who saw a lot of suffering, a lot of difficulty under the czarist uh, uh, Russia, Uh, he believed that what Jesus spoke was actually lead to utopia. Uh, And then uh, there was others like Albert Schweitzer, who actually believed it was an interim ethic, uh, and his perspectives of that uh, is some of modern humanism comes at it and approaches it as the charter for world peace and some of the statements that Jesus made within this sermon. Uh, some of the end-time school, the dispensational school, regard it as the blueprint for the millennium. It actually had no bearing on the here and now. It was all going to be in a thousand years at the end of time. And you can read those perspectives. And then there's another school that just says it's just unachievable idealism. And in other words, uh, when someone hits you in the cheek, it's pretty hard to turn the other cheek to let them have a smack, uh, and, and there you go. It's impossible, impossible to live. Um, you know, it, it's just not possible. It's just extreme idealism. It's got no connection with real life, and therefore, really, we can't connect to uh, what Jesus is really saying here. So, I think just in those short summary, you might see there's a few perspectives. Now, rather than stalling our personal view and bias, our presuppositions, our glasses, I want to come through the man who recorded this, which is Matthew. And how did he hear it? And in how he heard it, how did he he intend this to be heard? And so that, I think, what is the most important thing with this. Now, when we did our series on Ark to Ark and we looked at, you know, that first half of the book of Exodus... I I did a message uh, there uh, uh, that was called "A Peculiar People, and we actually looked at this. And I want to say a few things that I I said then, uh, but one thing, repetition doesn't entertain, but it sure teaches. So let me just go through a little here. Uh, In Matthew 9.9, the man who recorded this was Matthew. And we have how he first connected with Jesus in Matthew 9.9. And Jesus passed there, and he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose up and followed him, left everything. Now, he was on a pretty lucrative gravy train financially. Uh, And there was something that happened to Matthew that caused him to leave everything to follow Jesus. Now, if we look at the parallel of that, in either Mark's Gospel or Luke chapter 5, the other parallel, is we when we read the exact same account and the story, we find as Jesus passed by, he saw who? Levi. Now, it's the same figure, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said, follow me, and he rose up and followed me. And if you read the context of the, of the story accounts, you'll find it's exactly the same account. So Matthew's former name was Levi. And if you know anything about Jewish culture, you will know that if you go by the name Levi, you were born to be a priest. And this boy had been born to be a priest. In fact, I could easily call him the PK, the pastor's kid. And so what happens is the pastor's kid grew up in a Jewish world and environment, and as he grew up in that environment, uh, something affected his life. Uh, I'd suggest probably some of the things that we see, as Don mentioned, some of the negative views, not of Jesus, but of the people who say they represent Jesus, And this was the same in his day, the religious Jewish people. And people see that, and particularly if you're a PK, uh, you tend to be pretty close to sometimes seeing hypocrisy, sometimes seeing uh, a facade, uh, uh, viewing people who say one thing publicly, but behind the scenes can be very different. Now, whatever happened is this PK... Uh, went wrong. And he rejected uh, the expectations. He rejected, you know, the family aspirations of his calling. And he became a tax collector. Now, if you're aware of this, the Romans had a statement because they had to get taxes that were taken up throughout the empire. And Jewish people are quite renowned for being astute business people, uh, and that's, that's just a part of their culture. They're usually very good business people. But the Romans were also very aware of this, and they had a statement. If you're going to fleece a Jew, you need a Jew to fleece them. You understand what I'm saying? So what they did is they handpicked what were called turncoats or Jewish turncoats to take up the taxes for Rome. And so hence that reason, uh, a tax collector became the most despised, most rejected person in the whole of Israel. You couldn't get lower as far as a Jew was concerned because you had sold out your fidelity to the nation. You'd become a turncoat. You'd become one who went against, uh, uh, you know, the whole Jewish cause. Now, Matthew had become a tax collector. So most people, as they walked up to Matthew they didn't look at him. In fact, they spat and then threw their money in the tax booth and then proceeded on. So, uh, I think Matthew got very accustomed to some of the attitudes, uh, some of the responses from his own people, uh, because he, for them, was the lowest of the low. And so, Matthew is sitting at this tax booth, and then one day, we're told there in Matthew's own gospel, it says, And Jesus passed from there, and he saw a what? Jesus actually looked at him. He didn't spit at his feet. Jesus looked at him. In fact, you can nearly say he looked him up and down, and then said, Follow me. Because Jesus saw some value in him that no one had seen ever in him. And isn't it amazing? He gets up and leaves everything. Ha <laughs> ha! I tell you, my, my, that Jesus has some influence. And he just leaves. And Jesus, get this, makes him a part of his 12. His 12 of 12 guys of the whole nation he could pick makes him a part of the 12. And the purpose is so he'll take the good news to the Jewish world. Now, can you see like a little bit of sense of humor, little tongue in cheeks that Jesus, he picks the most Despised, most backslidden, most absolute uh, rejected person of the nation of Israel, as backslidden as you could get, he picks him up and restores him, trains him for three years, and says, Oh, by the way, I want you to write the gospel to the Jewish world, would you please? They need to hear your message. So, do you get the feel of where he comes from? So, Matthew writes the gospel to the Jewish world. And so. This is why this gospel is put first in your New Testament, because it's your bridge to your Old Testament, which is the book of the Jewish world. Everyone follow that? It's not written first to the gospels. It's put first because of whose its audience is. Everyone follow, follow that. Now, what happens there? Matthew had grown up in a culture, although he, he, he rejected that. Uh, but he grew up in a culture where they had an expectation and in that expectation, they knew that one day Moses had promised another person would come just like him. And so in Deuteronomy 18, 15, or verse 18, you could go as well. It says, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from among your brothers. It is him that you shall listen. And so uh, Matthew was very aware of that culture's expectation. And they were waiting for Messiah. So, as Matthew records about Jesus, the very first words Jesus ever spoke uh, is recorded there in Matthew 4, 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying what? Repent. Now, the word repent is a particular Greek word, metano, which actually means uh, change your thinking, align your thinking differently to the way it's been aligned, and that will result in a change of behavior, but it's primarily got to do with thinking. And so Jesus actually says, repent for the what? For the kingdom of heaven. Now, this might be something that you're unaware of, but only Matthew's gospel uses kingdom of heaven. All the others, it's kingdom of God, kingdom of God. And There's a reason. It's because Matthew is Jewish. His people are Jewish, and they won't even name the name of God because it's too holy and sacred. So he won't call it the kingdom of God. He calls it the kingdom of heaven as a euphemism for the Jewish world. So it's why you hear it that way, because it's written to Jewish people, Matthew's people. And so with this here, we're then told in Matthew 4.23, which sets the context for the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus went throughout all Galilee. So Matthew's gospel is really the Galilean gospel teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Now, Matthew does something all through his gospel. Whenever he begins to unveil a teaching, he gives you a summary up front. And the summary up front was this, that Jesus came teaching, preaching, and healing people. So, what happens is the whole gospel then unveils in exactly that way. And so, there are five blocks of teaching that Jesus gives in that gospel, and they all finish. And when Jesus finished this statement, so 728, 11, 1, 13, 53, etc., up to 26, 1. And so, what happens is you've got five blocks of teaching, and then those miracles and deeds that Jesus did. Now, What happens, they are recorded in between as that is written. Uh, Now, Matthew is writing to Jewish people, and he knows how they tick. And so they're most interested in uh, this figure that was the author of their world, which is Moses. And Moses gave them five books of the Old Testament called the Pentateuch, just means the five, the hand. And so, with that was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the whole of Jewish culture was built on those five books. Now, Matthew, in his gospel, will present these five blocks of teaching of Jesus. So, he's presenting here that Jesus is, in fact, come as the author of a kingdom, of a greater covenant, is a greater law, and, in fact, a greater prophet. And so the first of those sermons is the one that we're looking at, the Sermon on the Mount. And so Matthew 5 to 7 presents the lifestyle of the kingdom. Matthew 10 and 11, the mission of the kingdom. Matthew 13, the growth of the kingdom. Matthew 18, the culture. And Matthew 24, 25, the future of the kingdom. So can everyone see... What There's some that argue against this, but pretty well, I, I'm pretty sold. This is exactly what Matthew was trying to do, because his audience was his world. And so, he writes them in this way. Now, when we begin the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.1 says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the what? The mountain. If you read Luke's gospel, Luke 6.31, I think it says he came to the level place. He was up on a really high mountain. He came down still on the mountain, but up on a level place, plateau, where people could connect with him. But in Matthew, he zeroes in upon the mountain. You're worried about a spider, are you? Don't worry, it's just about to run up Brian's leg. <laughs> so with that there, Moses uh, then is juxtaposed with Jesus in Matthew's gospel very, very importantly. So if you know anything about Moses, his whole ministry, his whole world and life revolved around mountains. So he first experienced the Lord at a burning bush, or Mount Sinai, or Mount Horeb, uh, synonym of a name. And God revealed himself as, I am who I am. And when you open Matthew's gospel, the first account that we have of Jesus is the Mount of Temptation. And Jesus will come, and he will be the perfect Messiah, is the one who will solely be given to serve his Lord in worship. And then in Matthew, uh, the Old Testament, Moses received the law at Mount Sinai, and that, that occurred in Exodus 19 and 24, and we looked at that in our series, Ark to Ark. And, and yet, Jesus then presents His very first sermon uh, called the Sermon on the Mount. And so, we have presented the new covenant Messiah, the one who's come to announce a whole new kingdom, a kingdom of heaven, A kingdom that operates very differently than what Matthew was raised within. His whole culture had been a part of that. And then Moses went up and he wanted to see the glory of the Lord on Mount Sinai. And Exodus 33 tells that story. But in Matthew's gospel, we have the transfiguration of Jesus. And we just don't have God's glory revealed. We have Jesus's glory where he shines brighter than the sun revealed on that mountain is uh, at Mount Nebo, Moses will view the Promised Land, uh, and then on Mount Pisgah, he'll die. And then in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus will uh, speak the end of the system uh, there uh, of Sinai and uh, on, that, on Mount of Olives, and Jesus will die on the Mount Calvary. Okay, And then finally is at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses commissions Joshua and the 12 tribes of Israel to go into the promised land. You get to the end of Matthew's gospel, he takes you to a mount in Galilee where Jesus commissions 12 to take the gospel into all the world. And when we did uh, that series, Ark to Ark and Peculiar People, we talked on missions with that. It's not my subject today, but it's this, that you get the perspective of how Matthew is then going to hear these words of Jesus. And so the Sermon on the Mount is the first of these discourses that Jesus gives about the kingdom of heaven. And you better repent. You need to align your thinking to God's thinking. You need to change the way you're thinking. So the Sermon on the Mount is the first introduction of repentance. Everyone got this? You've got to change the way you're thinking. And for a guy like Matthew, he knew his thinking needed to be realigned because he was somewhat jaded figure from the Jewish world. Now, this then, Matthew 5, 1 to 7, actually 29, we'll go 28, doesn't really matter. And the subject and the theme is the kingdom of heaven mentioned seven times, and those verses there will record where it's mentioned. So that is the theme, that is the subject of what Jesus is going to be speaking. Some have tried to call this the Christian manifesto. Uh, others are uh, the Christian counterculture, a counterculture to the world that Matthew was raised within, the world that he was most familiar with in, which was Judaism Under the law, under Sinai, what he'd fallen short and failed on. Uh, So in the sermon, you're going to find statements like Matthew 6 8. Do not be like them. Like who? Like those that were under that system that Matthew was under. Do not be like them. You need to realign your thinking differently as Jesus presents this teaching. And so Jesus sits down on that mountain, uh, which means he takes the reproach of a teacher. He's going to actually teach them authoritatively as the rabbi, but in Matthew's thinking, as the greater prophet who had come. You survived that? Okay. Just so you'll get the whole context of what is occurring. So you need now to hear as Matthew he heard this. And so we've got Mount Sinai. On Mount Sinai, the law had been given, the Ten Commandments had been given to the nation, and it was a pretty inaccessible mountain. If you know where that mountain is, and to this day, most people don't know. We, we don't even know we, actually which mountain it was, some of guess, but it was in a very remote area of the world. It was pretty desolate, and once they left the place, it was full of snakes. Who likes snakes? Uh, and so that was a, a bit of a barrier getting back to the place. It was full of snakes. And on that mountain, there was thunder and lightning, and the people were fearful and trembling, and the law was written in stone, and it was preceded by a prologue. And that prologue we looked at when we did A Peculiar People in Exodus 19, 3 and 6, and it just says, you are my chosen people. You're a special people. You are then a royal priesthood a holy nation. And so you have Mount Sinai. Now, Matthew was raised under that system, and he failed. He got jack of that system and totally rejected it because he couldn't live that standard of expectation. You hearing it? Now, when you come to this mountain, which is known as the Sermon on the Mount, with a new greater prophet known as Jesus, you're going to have a series of what's known as the Beatitudes. And you have nine, and then there's a final one which brings to what number? Ten. Now, I hope you get, as it's presented, as Matthew's hearing this, and you come to a very accessible mountain. Uh, in fact, uh, we know this sermon was given in spring. There's all green plateau where the people can come. Uh, Luke's gospel calls it a level place. It's quite easy to come in and hear. Uh, and the message that you're going to get is one of blessing and of grace, but particularly of love. You're going to get this message. And this message is going to be written by the Spirit, not in the in stone as the law was, but written in the hearts of men. And it's followed not by a prologue of what I hope you'll be. It's followed by an epilogue of what you have become. And so here in Matthew 5, 13 and 16, Jesus is actually in that epilogue going to go, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city can't be set on a hill. It can't be hidden there. You follow? You follow? There, So you have come into a new status, not something that we hope you will become, but you have become this. And so with this here, I I hope you can see as Matthew is hearing this, he's hearing of a whole new presentation of the way of doing things. A whole new world has opened up to him. Now, we can outline that Sermon on the Mount. And I want to get to verse 12, which I believe is a summary of the whole sermon. But we have uh, there uh, seven sections to this sermon spanning three chapters. Let me just summarize them quickly. The first is you have the terms, what I'm going to call, of the new covenant, or we could call it the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew does here. The terms of the kingdom. So instead of ten commandments... You now have 10 Beatitudes, and, uh, and then you have a new covenant status, that epilogue uh, in Matthew 5, 13, and 16. You have a new way of living, which will be in righteousness, and uh, in fact, a righteousness that must surpass even the scribes and the Pharisees, the most successful, all in that old system the most successful candidates. Now, Matthew wasn't a very successful candidate, but he is another message where there is a righteousness that's going to come. And that runs from Matthew 5, 17 down to verse 48. And then a new covenant, piety. Not as those religious men who were, uh, 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 you know, living their lives out under that old system, but there was a new way that they would do almsgiving, a new way they would pray, a new way they would fast, And so, and then there'd be new covenant motives, a new motive and ambition. Uh, You don't have to live by anxiety of living up to expectations. Matthew needed to hear that because his life was a dismal failure of people's expectations. And then uh, new covenant relationships. Don't judge lest you be judged. Or maybe I should reword that as I believe Jesus originally intended to be. Do not criticize lest you be criticized. Now, i tell you, a lot of people out there criticizing a lot of people in the church. And Jesus said, don't go there. Don't, uh, uh, Brian Houston, he says this, I want to be known for what I stand for, not what I stand against. And I tell you, it's exactly where I sit. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go criticizing other believers or other Christians. It's not my prerogative, not my duty. I'm just going to serve Jesus with all I can to love God with all my heart, soul, and mind. And then if you want to judge me, fine, let it be. But maybe you can criticize me because I love Jesus. Is that okay? That's about as far as I go. And so uh, preserve new covenant relationships, but it ends, and this is what I want you to see, with new covenant challenge. And you're not going to understand uh, where we're going to go unless you understand this because there are two paths. There is two trees. There is two claims. And there's going to be two builders and foundations. Now, the sermon ends in the challenge. And this series is on the seven, the New Covenant Challenge, because it comes back to choices. What are the choices you and I going to make. One needs to hear it as Matthew heard it. Now, Matthew, uh, he was one who knew what it was to fail uh, the standards of holiness, the expectations, the laws, and the rules. He was very familiar with that, and he, he got a lot of spitting and cursing by people because of it. So, when he met Jesus, who saw him as a man, he responded And so the kingdom for Matthew was accessible to all. You need to hear this. There's a new way of thinking. You need to repent. You need to align your thinking differently. And so that thinking and that lifestyle and those grassy green slopes, you can come upon that level place on that mountaintop as well. Now, in contrast to Sinai, in contrast to that system that he was raised within, is we present, uh, he presents you the door in the ten. Now, they all begin with the word what? Blessed. Uh, Have you ever noticed the very first words God spoke in the Bible, Genesis 128, and God did what? God blessed them. God blessed them, male and female, and then spoke a word of blessing to empower you into your destiny. So, it means happy. It means joyful, but it just doesn't mean that. It means an overflowing, being empowered into your destiny where you've really been called to be. Everyone follow that? So blessed, blessed. Can, can you hear as Matthew hears that? <laughs> oh, my, my. Blessed. Man alive. Because uh, he was one who lived under a curse. And when he hears this word blessing, he fastens onto this and he says, you better listen up blessed blessed and you're going to get nine blessings 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 and the last one comes down rejoice <laughs> oh, you're going to have to be, you're going to have to kick your feet up and have a little dance um anyway i can see you're really enthralled so let me let me just begin as matthew hears this blessed are the poor in what for theirs is the heaven Now, can you hear as Matthew hears this? He hears this and he goes, did I hear right? If I'm absolutely bankrupt and absolutely failed, congratulations, I just took my first step into the kingdom. (laughs) He hears that and he goes, I'm in. (laughs) I'm in this whole game. I I qualify because I'm the failure of everyone in the nation. So he qualifies. Blessed are the poor in what? And if you can't get past that point, you don't even get into this kingdom. You don't even arrive. And you would not believe what a difficult gate that is for humanity to get through. Because man's got to control everything. Man's got to determine how he's going to do religion. And he does not going to listen to any God that says that if you think you can get there, you ain't going to ever get there. So, When you finally realize that you're absolutely bankrupt, there's nothing you can do, you join Matthew. Hallelujah. I just took my first step. Everyone got it? Blessed, (laughs) man, empowered into your destiny are those who, what? Mourn, for they shall be comforted. So when you mourn, when you absolutely miserable over your condition, that you can never do this, that you'll always fail the grade. Congratulations, you just took your second step into the kingdom of God. Now, do you think Matthew probably heard that with ears that went, I like what I'm hearing? Can, can, you, can you get that? And Jesus says, you'll be empowered into your destiny if you really realize your fallen condition and that you're never going to do it. So then he goes, blessed are the meek. And I've mentioned this, that word is "praus" in the Greek language, which is the same word that in the Greek world would be used of a break. I break a horse in. I take it as a foal and I break it in. doesn't mean I, 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 I you know, cripple its strength, but I harness that strength that when I'm at full gallop, one nudge with my knee, it will peel left or right. And Jesus said, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit what? The earth. (laughs) And so when God absolutely breaks your spirit, not to break your strength, but that you'll absolutely submit to God, that one little nudge of God, and you will respond, congratulations, you just took your third step into the kingdom of God. Now, can you see what this is doing? The law is the religious people had set up as a ladder. If you follow the law, then you'll arrive at holiness. (laughs) But no one ever did. Uh, There were people that pretended they did. They were called Pharisees. They were called scribes, but they never arrived. And so here is is we we just, Jesus is walking you up another staircase. And the fourth step is, is, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's a new desire that comes in people because they want to be good. They know they can't, but they want to be. And they shall be what? Satisfied because this new way is going to present a way that you can walk this. Blessed are the what? The merciful for they shall receive mercy. Now, the revelation of God in the Old Testament, Exodus 34, 5, and 6, God reveals himself, I am the Lord, the Lord, I am merciful. Slow to anger, a little unlike Richard Dawkins' uh, definition of what he thinks God is in the Old Testament. God says he is merciful. And here is when you draw near to God, you start to take on his character that you too will be filled with mercy and slow to anger and long-suffering. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall. Now, if I got this right, under that old system, Moses should have been the top guy, wouldn't he? And Moses said, I want to see your glory. And God wouldn't let him see the glory. He only let him see from behind. And Moses fell short. But blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, I think Matthew, he really fastened on to this. Blessed, powered into your destiny, are the peacemakers, for they shall be called what? If you're a son of God, that means you have a father. <laughs> There's a new family we're talking about here. And so blessed. And then blessed are the persecuted. Now, you're in the old system. It's uh, If you got persecuted, you'd done something wrong. You've actually failed. You've actually fallen short. And, and Jesus says, no, 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 it's probably a very good indication that you've been persecuted for righteousness sake. Notice I didn't say persecuted because you're obnoxious. There's some obnoxious Christians out there. Can I just say that? It says, blessed are those who persecuted for righteousness. But some people are just going to get ticked off and they're going to persecute you. And Jesus said, "Uh, you're going to be empowered into your destiny. And then the number nine is, blessed are those who others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. They're going to call good evil. And they're going to blame you for being the evil of the world. And then number 10, I just love this, goes, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Oh, man, alive. And Matthew goes, I like this journey because I could never, ever see myself under that old system ever arriving at this place. And he goes, rejoice. Now, if you know anything about the old covenant is when you supposedly at the very top of the old covenant, Deuteronomy 12, 12 says, and you shall what? Rejoice. Before the Lord your God, you and your sons, your daughters, your male servants, your female servants, and the, and the, and the Levite. <laughs> oh, Matthew. Oh, the failed Levite. Rejoice. Now, are you getting a little feel of how this is operating? And so, how do you walk into this world? Well, friends, you need a new nature. This, this, this is not some ethical teaching as as Gandhi and Marx thought. This is actually a whole new world, and you're never going to live this sermon unless there's a new nature, unless you have a new father, unless you become a son of God. That's the only way you're ever going to get in. And, you know, maybe Titus 3.5 is a good scripture. He saved us not because of what? Of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration. The Greek word there is palagansia, which is a word that means again, I'm in Genesis. I'm a new creation. You follow what I'm saying? So you need a new nature and a renewal of the Holy Spirit. You need a new dynamic. You're never gonna be live what Jesus says in Matthew 5 to the end of chapter seven unless you're in a new dynamic unless you come into a whole new way of being empowered into your destiny. So you need a new birth and you need a new dynamic, which is going to come through the Holy Spirit. And so once you have arrived there, you're ready for the golden rule because it's going to sum up everything that Jesus has said to this point. And people will take this golden rule and they come and they read it and they go, oh, you know, there's other teachers that have said exactly the same, and they'll quote guys like Confucius, and I'll read you this quote: uh, Confucius said, "Do nothing to your neighbor which afterward you would not have your neighbor do to you." Now, that's Confucius. Uh, maybe you should try some of the Roman Stoics: "Do not do to anyone what yourself would hate." Uh, that's found familiar. Uh, or maybe this one, Rabbi Hillel, one of the most famous Jewish scribes and scholars there was, what is hopefully to you, do not do to anyone else. This is the whole law. All the rest is only commentary. And they read that, and they go, there you go. Jesus wasn't even original. Um, uh, there's one massive difference, friends. Because under all those statements, as grand as they were, and it was truth. They got the truth. Is, is Confucius got it? The Stoics got it? Is, is, is the Jewish rabbis got it? They understood this. But the problem is, they had no new birth. They have no dynamic to live this. There is no Holy Spirit. Unless you're empowered into this destiny, You, left to yourself, can never live this. And you can philosophize as best you want, present a golden rule, and you can put this golden rule to the world and go, this is how we should live, and you won't. The Soviet Union built a system on Karl Marx that took some of this ideology of the Sermon on the Mount, and the whole thing collapsed in 70 years, because they suddenly realized, as grand as their theories of socialism were, Everyone was selfish rat bags. And everyone was in for the gravy train to what they could get. And it becomes so corrupt and, 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 and so messy that the idealism just fell. Because you can have a golden rule, friends, but unless you've got a new birth, unless you've got a, a dynamic empowering this, you're never going to ever live this. So this gets quoted all the time, the golden rule of how we should live. I know how I should live. Matthew knew how he should live. The thing is, I can't live it. You got it? And the moment you get to there, you go, oh, I just took my first step into the kingdom of God. So you've got to understand this. that what happens, you cannot live this golden rule unless there's a whole new nature, a whole new dynamic to live this into being. Now, are <laughs> oh, you there? I better end. Better I, ah dear, ah my nemesis of my life, time. Now, if I read that previous context, it's that scripture that says, "Ask it will be given to you; seek, you'll find; knock, it will be open to you." For everyone who asks receives; the one who seeks, it finds, etc., etc. Now you get to the end of that, and Matthew there says, "How much more will your who, your father?" Your Father, who is in heaven, give you good things to those who ask Him. Now, if you go to the parallel of that in Luke's Gospel, Luke 11, verse 13, If you then are evil, know how to good give, give good gifts to your children. In other words, your nature's wrong. You are what? You are? Oh, we don't like that, do we? Uh, uh, I'm pretty good. Uh, but Jesus says, you're evil. And He goes, But yet, you still get some things right. You give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the what? The Holy Spirit. Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. He'll give you the empowerment to live this. So you need, you need a new nature. You need a new dynamic, or this sermon is but rhetoric words. Okay? And so this new dynamic comes with a whole new nature, a whole new dynamic, but flows with love. So have a listen to this, Matthew 7, 12. You notice all those other golden rules? They never said this. It goes, uh, for, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the what? This is the law and the prophets. And you know elsewhere, Jesus said this, Matthew 22, 37, 39. And he said, you shall what? Love the Lord, your God with all your heart and soul and your mind, this is the great and first commandment, the second is like it. You shall love, and so you need to love, and when you love, you fulfill the law and we, we talked about this a number of weeks ago, Romans thirteen puts it this way: Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the what the law so we need to be empowered into a whole new way of doing things. We need to have a love. And so Romans 5.5 5 says, Hope does not put us to shame because God is love, and He's poured it out into our hearts through who? Through the Holy Spirit who has been given. And so suddenly I get a new love to love God and to love people. Now, isn't it profound? All those ethic teachers want to separate the love of people from God. But, friend, don't work. They've got to go together you can't separate them. If you don't love God, you won't love people. You can set up a system called Marxism and socialism, and it is doomed to fail. It's because man is inherently selfish, and he needs a new birth, and he needs a whole new dynamic and nature. So, uh, I, I like this one. <laughs> oh, time. Um, Philippians, listen to this. Paul puts it this way. 2 12 13 therefore my beloved as you've always obeyed so now not only in my presence but now much more in my absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling oh mount sinai here we come (laughs) then he goes no 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 for it is god who does what works in you both to the what the will is god promises he's going to put the i want to's into your life he promises, no, you can't do it. All you've got to do is be bankrupt, poor in spirit, and start mourning over your condition. Uh, I break your spirit, and we'll just work you through into blessing and empower you into your destiny. And I'm going to put the I want to's into your life. That sound like a good deal? Now, some people go, I've got no willpower. Congratulations. <laughs> You're poor in spirit. That's a good place to be. And then, and then he says, work, uh, the Greek word energeo means to energize. God is going to energize you into your destiny, uh, okay? So with this then, this comes to our choice of the terrible twos. And as I finish, uh, and some people said, thank God. Uh, but as I finish, is the Sermon on the Mount, is life in the new covenant. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's not about ethics. It's not about blueprints for utopias. It's not about unattainable ach- things that people will never achieve. In fact, that's true. Man is never going to achieve it, but God does. And so the golden rule is about love. And that golden rule is, is literally the dynamic of the kingdom of heaven. It's going to empower you into your destiny as you receive new birth and as you receive a new dynamic to live this whole life out. So listen to this. Hear it now. When we come to the new covenant, it's about choice. It's about the choice for relationship or a choice against relationship. That's how Christianity works. So as we end, let me just come here. If you know anything about the old covenant, they all end with choice. Will you obey or will you not obey? So, Deuteronomy 11:26. 26, see, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. Is that, is that familiar language to you? Uh, is, is Deuteronomy 30, 15 to 16, see, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you what? If you obey the commandments. <laughs> but They all fell short of that. And then, and to this people you shall say, thus says the Lord, Jeremiah 21:8. I set before you the way of life and the way of death. And so some people come to Jesus' teaching, and they think He's teaching you that you need to obey. No, friends, what He's teaching you, He's teaching you the power of choice. Are you going to choose relationship with Him, or are you going to do it on your own? That's going to be your choice. So this comes to the terrible twos, and this is where our journey is going to be, because then Jesus puts this challenge at the end of the Sermon on Mount, just as the Old Covenant had the same challenges. And there's going to be two paths, two trees, two claims, two builders, two foundations. Which are you going to choose? And the choice is not a choice of whether you're going to obey God. Because, friends, you go that way, you're going to fail. It comes back, are you going to choose relationship? Are you going to choose the way of love? Now, I, I think I said everything, but maybe I just want to give one illustration as I finish. Is that all right? I'll give one illustration. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I've been married nearly thirty years. Over thirty years, is it? Wow. Now, c- can I can I say um, I got a confession? I'm one of those really bad bachelors. I left to myself, my household uh, is pretty rough. The day I got engaged, I got a fully furnished house. Oh, man, a lie. When I got engaged, I went, man, what a deal. <laughs> oh, I had a cardboard box and I had a table. That's all I had. Then I got engaged. I got a whole furnished house. It was a good deal. After I got married I never went to a bank again. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, it was a good deal. Um, anyway, uh, I don't want to give you guys the wrong idea, but let me just say this. Every now and again, Sue goes away. Now, I have Haley, and Haley has a whole bunch of pets. There's budgerigars, there's a plethora of guinea pigs, there's a cat, and then in my house, there's all these pot plants. They're everywhere. Oh, man alive. Uh, there's so many. And when I go away, Sue draws me up this great list, and I stick the list on the fridge. When Haley was little, oh my my, it used to be with fear and trepidation. I used to fear that because I go, dear God, what time I got to feed her? When I got to put her to sleep? Uh, what do I what I got to do? And and I would come with fear and trepidation, and and I'd follow the list. And you know, when before Sue comes home, I, I live pretty rough for a week or so. And then when she's about to come home, I go, man alive, I better go into clean up mode. <laughs> Oh, I gotta make myself look respectable, and so, uh, so what I do is I get there and I go into cleanup mode and 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 I clean the house as best I can. And in she comes and she's got the big smile and gives me the kiss on the cheek. What a good boy am I? As everything is run so proficiently. But I tell you what, it takes about five minutes. And she walked over and she looks at a plant and she goes, "Why is this plant dead?" And I went, "Oh no, oh that was what I missed." Why is Haley's uniform not ironed? Oh, no. (laughs) Um, uh, And then uh, in that list, I realise I was such a good boy that I come out as a very, very not so good boy. And then I'm in repentance mode of going, how do I achieve to bring peace to my life? But you know the great news? And when she arrives home, I get that list of rules and I rip them up. I rip them up and I throw them away you know, when she's at home and with relationship, I keep those list of rules really well. I don't miss none of them. Because even if I try to, there's a little voice that says, you better water that plant. And you know, I don't mess any of it up. It's because of relationship and love. You got it? Let's stand. Let's pray.